0: Hello, I'm Matt, and this is Ghostthropology. The show will feature ghost folklore, which includes both well-known stories and small personal encounters, all ultimately unverifiable, but all presented by people as true. I will tell you the story, after which I will discuss the elements of the story that I think are particularly interesting. While I don't know when, where, or how you were listening to this, I hope it's dark outside, as that is the best time for ghost stories. Episode 33, Haunted Lakes in the Desert Bodies of water often attract tales of the supernatural. In episode 19, which discussed White Rock Lake, in Texas, I made references to old legends tying water to the underworld, and referenced stories that describe ghosts associated with water. Today I want to share two stories about lakes in the California portion of the Mojave Desert. One said to be haunted, and also a place of some strange geologic mystery, and the other host to a strange monster, or possibly demon. I think that the first story illustrates how trends in internet use have influenced the way that tales are told, while the second is just a damn fun story, even if it is more of a monster story and more of a tall tale than a ghost story. Una Lake, Lake, located south of the city of Palmdale and immediately east of the Lake Palmdale Reservoir, is a small lake or pond. Although the presence of such a body of water is remarkable within the arid desert environment, it appears otherwise uninteresting at first glance. It has placid water and rather typical local vegetation, but, of course, it has its stories. When I first encountered claims that Una Lake was haunted, around 2007, all I could find was an entry on the website Shadowlands that reported that people approaching the lake at night have encountered a dark figure in fisherman's clothing who, with slurred speech, told them to leave the area. People who visit at night also reported seeing dark figures climbing into the trees and vanishing. I also encountered brief mentions on Shadowlands and other places of other frightening happenings at the lake. According to what I could find, some locals tell of a strange creature, never actually described, that sometimes emerges from the lake to devour whatever animals it can get its hand, claw, teeth on. The lake is reputed to be bottomless, and internet lore holds that at least one diver has vanished while looking for the bottom. There are also rumors that the bodies of murder victims have been dumped into the lake and never seen again. One story even holds that a school bus once drove off the Sierra Highway, which runs immediately adjacent to the lake, and plunged into the water. Neither the bus wreckage nor its doomed passengers were ever found. However, back around 2014 or 2015, a user going by the screen name Secular Paladin posted a more fleshed out version of the story on Reddit. I'm going to summarize it, but will include a link in the blog for this episode, as I would encourage you to look up the version that he wrote for some fairly enjoyable details. The Reddit post explains that the lake was called the bottomless lake not because anyone seriously believes it to be bottomless, but because the spongy sediments at the bottom of the lake absorb sonar and radar and, therefore, are difficult to take measurements along the bottom of the lake, making it appear bottomless to some surveys. According to Secular Paladin, local lore has it that there was a mansion at this location in the 1950s, and an old man lived there. This old man was a child murderer, and would drive around town at night to abduct children. He would then tie them up and gag them before burying them alive on his property away from town. One night, rain began to pound the area, soaking it and creating floods in the surrounding region. But the old man's land did not just experience flooding, no. The earth itself opened up and swallowed the house and much of the property whole, including all of the graves that the man had dug. A lake formed where that land had once been. The locals will tell you not to go swimming in the lake, because everyone who swims in it drowns. Maybe these drownings occur because the old man is still seeking victims, the spirits of the buried children are seeking company, or the lake itself is a portal to hell and is taking anyone who braves its waters down to their damnation. While the story by Secular Paladin is one of the better written takes on this lake's creepy history, there is more if one pokes around online. For example, another story holds that the son of one of Palmdale's former mayors hit a corpse by putting it into a car and crashing that car into the lake, which, while creepy and unsanitary, is not supernatural. Others hold that, as per the story cited from Reddit, there are ghosts of children haunting the lake, but that these children were not the victims of the old man. Rather, they are the spirits of those who drowned trying to swim in the lake, and are now attempting to sink anyone they can. It is also claimed that strange fish sometimes appear in the lake from time to time, either indicating that something is bringing in fish that should be alien to the local environment, or else that something is changing the regular fish into monstrosities. Nowadays, should you wish to enter the property, you will find it fenced off, and private security has been known to patrol this area so this one is best viewed from afar. Commentary Between 2008 and 2014, I often worked on projects in the Palmdale area, and naturally, one of the things I did when I realized that I was going to be spending a large chunk of my time in the area was to research local ghost stories. I quickly came across the websites that listed Una Lake as a particular haunted hotspot, However, it was difficult to find a clear write-up of the events alleged to happen at the lake. I would instead find a lot of small factoids about the haunting, short two-to-three-sentence paragraphs, or even single-sentence descriptions that appeared across a large number of websites, often with the same spelling and grammar errors, indicating that they were simply copy and pasted from one source to the other. This was, at the time, very common on websites that cataloged alleged paranormal happenings. Entries were taken from other websites verbatim, with no analysis or consideration of whether what was being said even made sense given what was clearly observable about the location in question. While there were websites that offered more in-depth discussion of some of the ghost stories, these tended to be websites dedicated to specific locations or types of stories, with the short and sweet copy-and-paste cataloging being the norm everywhere else. One of my go-to websites for a quick rundown of hauntings at a given location was Shadowlands, which is also one of the relatively small number of pre-2010 paranormal websites that is still around and operating. This story illustrates why Shadowlands is simultaneously a wonderful and a terrible website for ghost story enthusiasts. The website contains the simple description, and I quote, Ghost of a fisherman has been reported to lash out, slurring viciously, ordering them to leave. Also, tales of black figures climbing into the trees and vanishing. And again, that's a direct quote complete with the weird phrasing and grammar. As I understand it, the webmaster of Shadowlands doesn't create these descriptions, but rather posts what is sent in. On the one hand, this allows us to quickly find ghost stories for most towns in the United States, as well as a few other countries. On the other hand, the stories are often so brief garbled and confused that it can be difficult to do anything with them, so it goes. Because Shadowlands is so useful for locating ghost stories, entries on the site were often simply copied and pasted onto other websites. So if you go looking for Una Lake ghost stories online, you'll usually find a direct copy of the above quoted sentence. Now, back in 2008, I had to wonder if a ghost enthusiast's reliance on the internet wasn't a double-edged sword allowing more access to stories, but also freezing them in often lame and inane forms, rather than allowing them to grow and warp as folklore should. But when I started doing my background research for this episode, I noticed that things had changed. Facebook groups encouraged people to post stories about various locations. The Urban Legends Forum on Reddit provided a place for those who wanted to tell a more fleshed-out and likely more embellished version of their local ghost stories and various ghost story sites that had once simply copy and pasted material from others have vanished. The online communities created by Facebook, Reddit, and even the video-sharing sites like TikTok appear to be making ghost stories into more fluid and dynamic forms of folklore, as they should be. Looking back in my old notes for the tale of Una Lake, I see that I have many comments about my disappointment at ghost stories becoming stuck in time due to it being easier to copy and paste between forums than engaging in actual storytelling. Given what I have seen more recently, I see that my disappointment was misplaced and that this type of storytelling is now thriving in current online spaces. Okay, so a bit of science and history. Una Lake is what is called a rift lake or a sag pond, and yes, there are technical differences between them, but I have been unable to find out which one best describes Una Lake. It sits on the San Andreas Fault in a depression caused by seismic activity. Nearby Lake Palmdale, nearby as in across the street, is in a similar basin where a small natural lake has been turned into a larger reservoir. In fact, the 1915 USGS topographic map for this area shows Lake Palmdale labeled as Una Lake. There is basically one lake that was split by the construction of the railroad, which then created two lakes. The eastern lake is now Una Lake. Palmdale is the larger and more western body of water. It is worth noting that in order to build the railroad, they had to put fill in the lake, that is, put dirt, rock, and rubble in in order to create the railroad grade. That had to pile up on the bottom of the lake and support the new railroad tracks, so much for the lake being bottomless. The natural lake was subject to modifications in the late 19th century when a dam was placed and a ditch dug to feed water. In the early 20th century, further modifications resulted in the adjacent Lake Palmdale becoming a reservoir fed by the California aqueduct to provide water for farms in the region. A bit to the west, Elizabeth Lake is in a similar geologic formation and will be discussed a bit later in the episode. Interestingly, Lake Palmdale is the larger of the two parts of the body of water and is clearly more accessible. So that begs the question of why Una Lake has a reputation for hauntings While Lake Palmdale does not. While it's impossible to say for sure, Lake Palmdale is, as I say, more accessible. There are small craft docks on the lake, roads and walking paths along its shore, and a pier from which fishing is allowed. Lake Palmdale is more familiar to people as a recreation area, and therefore more likely to be host to happy memories. By contrast, Una Lake is fenced off and foreboding. Una Lake sits by itself, separated from the larger body of water by one of the most trafficked roads in Los Angeles County, fenced off and, according to what I have read, patrolled by security guards to keep people out. Although smaller and less consequential, it looks less like a resort than Lake Palmdale and more like a facility that is being hidden away, even if the precautions are genuinely being taken for the purpose of public safety. Therefore, it seems much creepier. Story 2. The Monster of Elizabeth Lake. As I've discussed in previous episodes, especially in episode 26 on the Mothman prophecies, the line between cryptids, UFOs, and ghosts is much blurrier than it initially appears. I, nonetheless, have no interest in turning this podcast into a cryptid or a UFO show. That said, This next story is both geographically close to Palmdale and Una Lake and is a fun story in its own right, so I'm going to make one of my occasional exceptions and talk about a local monster. Elizabeth Lake is a natural lake located in the Sierra Polona Mountains at an elevation of over 3,000 feet above sea level and is approximately 13 miles west of the Palmdale and Lancaster metro areas. It is part of a series of sag ponds created by the San Andreas Fault. Other nearby sag ponds include Munns Lake and Hughes Lake. A small town surrounds these lakes, and if the stories are to be believed, the residents may have reason to live in fear. You see, Elizabeth Lake is said to have been created by the devil himself. Mind you, the devil created it for a rather adorable reason. You see, his beloved pet needed a home. Less adorable and rather unsurprising, the devil's pet was a strange carnivorous monster. Also, as should be expected, there are those who hold that the bottom of Elizabeth Lake contains a portal to hell. The story, as typically told, is that early Spanish settlers noticed something strange in this area. As the Spanish settlers established ranches near Elizabeth Lake, they noticed whiffs of sulfur and an eerie feeling while standing near the lake. But soon, things got worse. Much worse. In the 1830s, Spanish rancher Don Pedro Carrillo experienced the loss of all of the structures on his property due to a fire. The cause of the fire was unclear and never really discovered. Then things got worse. From the depths of the lake, there came a creature, a strange, strange creature. This beast was a chimerical monster with a dog's head, a giraffe's neck, bat wings, and six legs, or perhaps flippers. The creature emitted a foul stench and was said to be massive, at least 50 feet long, and it devoured both crops and livestock. His ranch in ruins, Carrillo fled and abandoned the place. Following the annexation of California by the United States and the admission of the state into the Union, settlers from the now eastern U.S. began to come into California, and some of them started ranches near Elizabeth Lake. These new ranchers made a go of it, certainly, but Elizabeth Lake did not want them. It did not want anybody there at all. As with the Spanish ranchers before them, it started small. Weird feelings, odd sulfuric smells, and the occasional weird sound. But before long, the occasional weird sound turned into loud screams heard in the dead of night. Perhaps the screams of the tormented and damned coming from the portal to hell. Other unnatural noises, as well as apparitions, both of which are always poorly defined in the written versions of the story that I could find tormented these ranchers. And, of course, the creature once again reared its ugly head and devoured all that it could. The ranchers fled. The next ranchers to establish themselves near Lake Elizabeth, Don Chico Lopez and Don Chico Vasquez, experienced more of the same. But the creature seemed bolder now, appearing more often, and making nightly flights over the men's homes. Once again, it began to devour livestock and when the ranch hands shot at it, the bullets bounced right off its hide. Before long, the ranch was abandoned even by its owners. Time went on, and multiple landowners came and went, all chased away either by the creature or other unnatural events at the lake until finally a Basque immigrant named Miguel Leones arrived on the scene. Leonis was a large, physically powerful man who stood six feet and four inches tall and had, through a combination of intelligence, ruthlessness, and cunning, become one of the largest and wealthiest landowners in California. As before, strange events began in the area surrounding the lake, and it was a few months before the creature made itself known. However, it did eventually begin eating the animals that Leonis had placed on his ranch. But Leonis was the very definition of the tough guy, and he was not going to let a little inconvenience like a demon from hell get in his way. So in 1886, Leonis chose his knight and waited for the beast to emerge from the lake. When it did, Leonis began shooting, but as before, the bullets bounced off of the creature's hide. So much for doing things the easy way. Leonis ran towards the creature and savagely punched it in the eye before beating it with the stock of his rifle. The creature, shocked that this mortal would dare strike it, was dumbstruck. Leonis made ready to attack again, and the creature, fearing this mad basque's next blow, fled into the lake. It cowered below the surface for a time, before finally deciding that it did not want to tangle with Leonis again. The creature rocketed out of the lake and took flight, in the opposite direction from Leonis' ranch. Legend holds that the creature was sighted one last time a few months later in Arizona. Apparently, Leonis's ferocity was frightening enough that the beast felt the need to flee to somewhere safer. Leonis himself died a few years later, when he was thrown from a moving coach, landed ahead of it, and was crushed under its wheels. He and his wife are said to haunt the large adobe home he had built for them in Calabasas. But that is another story. Commentary. Given that the creature is said to be the pet of the devil, and therefore likely demonic, I suppose this does fit more easily in with stories of ghosts, spirits, and demons than with stories of unknown animals or aliens. It's a fine line, but this is the call that I'm making. Naturally, this is yet another case where the people who tell the tale say, the Indians had stories about this creature. As we are under COVID restrictions as I write this, I cannot visit the academic libraries that I would like to, to look for additional information on local Catanumic, Serrano, and Tatavian beliefs. But I do have a decent personal library of California anthropology texts, and I cannot find anything about Lake Elizabeth in any of the documents that I have. That said, in the documents I do have, the cosmological and religious beliefs of the people who had lived in the vicinity of the lake are provided briefly, but the manner in which they are presented indicates that the ethnographers who gathered the information either did not gather much on religion or cosmology, or that what they gathered was pretty minimal and consistent with what other surrounding peoples believed. And the frequent references in the ethnographic handbooks that I have for California indicate that it's the latter. While I give some sources in the episode notes, those are only the sources that had information that did make its way into this episode. I consulted a significant number of other books and papers and just came up empty. In the sources where I found information on the religious beliefs of people near the vicinity of Lake Elizabeth, frequent references made to surrounding groups, suggesting that either the people of this area shared a number of religious elements with their neighbors, That post colonial movement of people resulted in a mixing of religious beliefs or traditions, or more likely, both. Either way, I could find no mention of a monster in Elizabeth Lake, though the records I have to work with present a fragmentary picture, and as such, I would not rely on them. As a reliable source of water in a relatively arid region, it is likely that Elizabeth Lake figured into local folklore. But that doesn't mean that it figured in by featuring a menacing creature. In fact, As a source of water so near the desert floor, you would expect that the stories would portray it as a more inviting location. That said, while I cannot say that there is no story of a monster, demon, evil spirit, or other entity at Elizabeth Lake, there is a tendency for people to make claims that a particular spooky story is part of Native American lore as a way of giving it a false sense of legitimacy and antiquity even in cases where it can be clearly shown not to actually be connected to Native American beliefs. So, treat that element of the story with a grain of salt. Also, it is worth noting that the lake is fed through rain, and goes dry during extended droughts. So, if there were a portal to hell at the bottom of the lake, it would have been visible during the spates of recent drought. Now, all that said, what of this story? I think that at its core it's just one of many tall tales of the old west, one built to tell the story of the meanest, toughest SOB that ever set foot in the dusty lands near the Mojave, Miguel Leonis. When you go online to look up the story, you will see many names associated with the lands around Elizabeth Lake. Some of them were real people who owned land nearby, some are fictional creations. But interestingly though, one of the most outlandish characters in this story Miguel Leonis is the one whose existence is most easily verified. Miguel Leonis was a Basque man who immigrated to California and, like many other Basque immigrants in the 19th century, became a sheepherder, working for ranchers who grazed their flocks in the mountains. Leonis was frugal and saved enough money to buy ranch land from two Chumash men who owned Rancho Escorpion. He married the daughter of one of the men, a woman named Espiritu. Leonis and Espiritu came to own a very large part of the San Fernando Valley and surrounding area through a combination of shrewd business decisions, hard work, a bit of luck, and the willingness to sue anyone who owed them money but had failed to repay. The Leonises may not have been well-liked, but they were respected. Miguel was a huge man. Again, he was six feet, four inches tall, and muscular. Between his imposing physique and his obvious business acumen, he was just the sort of larger-than-life figure that made for great Wild West stories. And that is where the monster comes in. I cannot confirm whether or not there were stories of a monster in the lake prior to the late 19th century, but I am skeptical. The chimerical monster, while not out of bounds for native California folklore by any means, does seem to me to be rather European. From the time of the Hellenistic Greeks through the medieval period and up through the modern day, European monsters have tended to be a blend of other creatures, and this one definitely fits that mold. It bears more than a small resemblance to the chimera, and the mix of traits from different animals more than anything else puts me in the mind of the Jersey Devil from the east coast of North America. In the mid-19th century, Anglo-Americans from the eastern U.S. were pouring into California as a result of the gold rush and the availability of new farm and ranch land resulting from the annexation of California. While the native Californians were still present, they found themselves increasingly in marginalized roles as the Mexican-Spanish and the Anglo-American settlers jockeyed for economic and political dominance within the new state. Now, the Basques come from southern France and northern Spain, and have historically not been quite at home in either place. The Basque language is a linguistic isolate, not related to any other language, and, unlike most European languages, is not part of the Indo-European language family. It is likely an ancient language, but the Basque people have largely been engulfed by the Spanish and the French, and there is an active Basque separatist movement. In the mid-19th century, many Basque people left Europe and came to the Americas, with a large portion of them settling in California. Though European, the Basques were neither Spanish nor Anglo, and as such, they were outsiders to both the conflict and cooperation between the two. They often did not speak either Spanish or English. One of the common jobs taken by Basque immigrants was shepherd, as shepherds often worked alone, and the sheep don't care what language you speak. Fun side note. Many Basque shepherds would carve images, often but not always, of a pornographic nature, into the bark of trees. When performing archaeological work in the mountains, we often come across these carvings, known as arbor glyphs, and record them. But back to Leonis. This is the context in which Leonis made his fortune. Writings about him often say that he was not well-liked but it's hard to say how much of that was due to his business practices and how much was due to prejudices against Basque immigrants. Regardless of that, Leonis was a larger-than-life character, a man of epic proportions who demanded epic foes to vanquish. And, in this story, he found just such a foe. But if there's little evidence to support the claim that the monster comes from Native American folklore, what was its origin? I found two newspaper stories from the Los Angeles Times both dated to 1886, that tell of a water dragon at Elizabeth Lake. One story tells of the experience of a traveling immigrant family who encountered the creature while camping near the lake during their travels. And the other claims that the water dragon is eating the fish in the lake, before switching to saying that only fools believe in water dragons and claiming that the creature is a pterodactyl, which everyone knows is extinct. The tone of the stories strike me as being rather similar to newspaper hoaxes concerning monsters and spacemen that were common in the late 19th century. The stories often contain elements that would have given them away as jokes to the readers at the time, but are often taken as genuine reporting by modern paranormal enthusiasts. But neither of these stories mentions Leonis, which is odd, as this is the year in which he is said to have had his mighty battle with the creature. Leonis does appear to have owned land near the lake at this time, and, well, when you have such a prominent and striking figure, I don't think it takes too much for his detractors to claim him so vicious that the Water Dragons would be afraid of Leonis, and those who supported him might like the story as a sign of his strength and valor. It may well be that people who either liked or disliked Leonis would tell and embellish the story over time. Eventually, the tall tale would build until you have Leonis challenging a demon to a fistfight, and then winning. And with the exaggerations and telling, the creature changes from a water dragon or pterodactyl to a stranger and more beastly form. So... I think this story takes the very real person of Miguel Leonis and elevates him to a folklore hero similar to Paul Bunyan. Miguel Leonis was a shrewd businessman, competent rancher, and the toughest shepherd you might ever cross paths with. Don't cross Leonis. He's the man who beat up the devil's own pet. I love my state's folklore. Mm If you have a weird tale, have had a strange experience of your own, or know of a bit of local lore that should get a wider audience, please feel free to contact me at ghostthropology at gmail.com. That's g-h-o-s-t-h-r-o-p-o-l-o-g-y at gmail. You can find more at kmamedia.com. Click on the Ghostthropology link, and you can find episodes, transcripts, sources, and a link to support us through Patreon. Spooky!